0: Welcome to another episode of the Staffs Tackle for Equality, a special podcast funded by Fair Network, which is part of their Black Lives Matter in Football initiative. Today, I was joined by Simpiwe Zulu, the 17 national women's coach and former Banyana Banyana captain. I was joined by my co-host Lita Klekhana. Lita, how are you doing?
1: Very well, Brian. Um, hope you're well too. I definitely like the title of co-host. Takes a bit pressure off me But I'm also still involved In very exciting And telling conversations um, This one is no different I mean Simpuet Lulu She's not only A very experienced um, Former Banyana Banyana player But An excellent coach Who speaks very well And She had a lot for us In this interview We really just touched on Her background um, Just What she's doing now With With, with the with the Banyana B- B- Bandana Banyana f- uh, team As well as um, Just Just some of the challenges she faces, you know, in women's football and then our privilege in women's football today, so very exciting.
0: Yeah, it was really inspiring and I I hope all the listeners, you know, tuning into this podcast really enjoy and learn from her experiences and, you know, take a lot of value from it. So enjoy.
2: And football obviously was the primary sport that was played on the streets everywhere you go, but being in school, I was exposed to different elements of sports netball, athletics, cricket, um, I was in drama classes, I was in debate classes, but everything was always centered around football, it was that other thing that I was doing and then I would always come back to football, so <laughs> I would honestly say football has always chose me um, yeah. to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and sort of starting out um, as a football player, because you know, to this day it's, it's still... Not as easy for women to to start and participate in football as it was, so I can only imagine how it was back then um but you know you you persevered and you still forged a highly successful career um but what were some of the challenges you had to overcome earlier in your playing days?
2: Uh, some of the challenges that I had to overcome earlier on in my playing days you know it's not being allowed to play soccer in a boys' team because I was a girl. Um, it was taboo, you know, especially in the townships where we didn't really have a lot of girls that were playing football, you know, and uh, clubs were not there for girls to play football And I remember I had to start a girls' team in high school because in primary school it was not there, you know. So um, even parents at home, um, my parents did not believe in, in me playing football when I started out you know, um, didn't get as much support um, until they started understanding this is something I loved and this is something that I wanted to do. This is something that I wanted to continue doing. And then they started supporting me, you know. So those are some of the challenges. Even um, the support from the community was not that great, you know. Um, They'd opt to go watch a boys team play than a girls team play resources at school in high school when we started in that uh, girls team the boys would get uh, training kits they would get more equipment to train on they would have a better field to train on we didn't so those were all the challenges that we faced when I started out in a girls team
1: yes and uh, coach obviously you also you, you speak about having to start a football team in high school because there wasn't any and then obviously that's where your journey would have started but you also ended up at Tux um, Sports High School um, as well. So how did that come about? Was it a matter of bursaries? Did you get spotted? Obviously, everyone normally has a has a story behind how they were first spotted um, before making it in, 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 in sports. So what was your story?
2: So um, in high school, I played for a team in Tembisa um, where I lived with my parents. And then from there, I had an opportunity to go and play at Rao, which is UJ now. Um, I had a friend that was playing there, and then she recruited me to come just train once. I went, and I found a girls team there. It was mostly university um, students that were there in the team, and I started playing with them. Um, So I moved from Tembisa to go there. And there we had a coach, uh, Tony Devivo, who was the coach there. And he knew of an academy that, that was starting out for girls, a national academy that was starting out in Pretoria. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up um, at the High Performance Center. I said, I'm going to take you for a tryout. I got there. Uh, they said to me, please bring everything, your reports, everything you'll be joining because there were 24 girls. I was the 25th girl that went in and joined. And then it was 25 of us.
1: And then obviously that that probably set you up for for, for many other things to come, and just to speak about obviously I, I'm not sure how much of a of of sort of domestic experience you had uh, before appearing for the national team, but how did that come about? How how did you end up you know obviously going through all these academies and all these uh, high performance centres? How did you uh, how did the, the call up the first call up come about for for banana banana?
2: Yeah, being being at the uh, academy, I still played for the club, uh, which was Rao. And then I moved from Rao, I still played for, I played for Sundowns, Mamelodi Sundowns, uh, which was based in Mamilodi then. um, Still based at the High Performance Centre. And being there, obviously, it was the hub of uh, the national team, youth team. You know, so um, we got to play apprentices against Banyana, we got to play Um, against the under 20s as well but we formed more of the under 20 because there wasn't an under 17 team then you know so yeah um that's that's how it was mostly
1: and um getting a
2: call up to the to the the senior team was the first call up before even making it into the under 20 team um and it, it was it was an incredible journey for me um in 2006 when i started out and yeah, I can honestly say um, being able to to get a call up for Banyana Banyana was great for me. Um, I was first year at Varsity and
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you can just imagine. Um,
2: yeah, it was amazing.
0: Yeah, and you touch on the experience of your first call up, but there were 64 after that. Um, and to captain Banyana Banyana as well, sort of how much pride did that bring to you and I'm sure your family because it uh, it's a highly storied career that you've had.
2: Yeah I mean um, when I moved to the high performance center my mom was very supportive of that you know actually she started understanding that I love football when I was in high school when I went to play for Rao then she would come out with family they would watch me play When I moved to the high performance center, she would come visit and see how everything was going. She was very supportive of that. Making it to Banyana was a dream come true. You know, um, for her to have a daughter that played football and played for the national team, really for the family, it was a a big celebration for them. But for me personally, um, it was um, adding value to my community. It was adding value um, to my friends as well. The club that I played for because um that's what you'd want i wanted to be hope and i got an opportunity to give hope to my peers to the younger ones as well that are coming before after me as well you know so it was a really a uh, dream come true for me and to go on and play 63 times for the national team having to captain the team at some point you know go to tournaments um pt we, I, I never got to qualify for the world cup or the olympics but Um, The strides that were made there and seeing the growth of women's football was incredible. I I achieved so many things uh, with the pathway of playing football for Banyana Banyana, for under 20, being at the high-performance centre and to where I am today.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because you kind of did a 360 and circled your way back to Tux and the University of Pretoria. And you hear a lot of stories of you know, former players, they're, you know, not sure about what they want to do after playing, after football. Some of them go into other businesses. Some of them want nothing to do with football. Um, was that always your goal, um, you know, at the latter end of your career? Because I know you obviously studied your sports science degree. Um, did you always have coaching in your mind?
2: I've always had coaching in my mind, you know, um, because even playing on the field, um, it was it was just that to say how do I become better? How do I um, see a future post playing? You know, and it, it was exactly that to say um, I love the sport so much, but the coaches that uh, were able to be a part of me, coach me, um, how can I add value to the game post playing? You know, and I started dreaming about that. I started seeing, um, a pathway and I, and, and I wanted to, to, to add value as well to say, if I've had women coaches coaching me, um, and quality coaches, I want to be able to do the same thing, if not even better, you know, that's why I went into coaching and I, I really researched, I found out and I tried to understand what it means to be a coach and what needs to happen and the rest was history
1: and it it's it's quite refreshing just to hear how you speak about how you saw coaching and how you viewed it while uh, during your playing days because obviously um a lot of football players say that you know they they do consider coaching it's something that they will look at uh, later on but you made that decision quite early um having to uh, doing your UEFA b license which is quite a a, a respected um, qualification particularly in African football, not only South African football So was The fact that you actually went and did it at such an early I mean you're still quite very young at the moment So how, how did that all come about The fact that you went to go do your B license How was how, how, What was the level that you Performed the, 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 the license at? Because I'm sure it wasn't easy You're doing uh, at a European standard So was, was, did you find that challenging Or was, uh, are we not as Far behind as we think uh, As South Africans
2: Look, as Africa, we we are years behind um, when you compare us to the world. And all of that is because of the rate that we do things. We have an idea, we know how it's done, but we are not applying ourselves enough and consistently. So so going to the Netherlands to get my UEFA B, it was not easy. But because um of the coaching levels that I got in South Africa and the exposure of playing in the national team, I could understand i I was not falling behind you know um hence I was able to pass and and get my 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 certificate as well so um it's just a different way of doing things. they are more advanced than we are um and and hence that has helped me into my coaching style and into the way I'm a coach, the way I would research, the way I would do things as well. So, yeah, honestly speaking, um, being able to go and do my UEFA gave me the edge as well to say, how do I combine that with my African qualifications to that of UEFA and make sure that I become the best coach I can possibly be?
1: Sure. And you, you know, you mentioned the um, style and style of coaching, obviously, during your, 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 your course and your your coaching course, I'm sure you are asked to sort of starting to to develop your own unique style and what you would do in certain situations. And just tell us about how you went about it. What was your approach in terms of developing the style that you, you do have? And can you just tell us a bit more about the style that you have?
2: As a youth coach, it's really not that easy to say this is a style of coaching that you have because it speaks to your personality. You have to adapt, you have to change, you have to find ways, you have to alter how you do things so that you can get the best out of the players. It's not about me, but I'm an adaptable coach. Obviously, there's principles and values that I follow, you know, and my values speak to um, consistency. They speak to hard work. They speak to... Uh, Excellence, you know. So I'm. Um, I, I can't really say I'm. A, I, I have a certain style of coaching, but I'm very proactive. I like to motivate my team more than anything, either in doing or in showing or in just um, guiding, you know. But I demand more from players more than anything. I believe in in hard work more than I believe in talent. And if the two come together, I'm a happy coach, you know. But yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring myself out to see which best possible way can I influence the game and the players that I'm coaching, you know? Um, so yeah, I adapt, um, I, I can say I'm an adaptive coach. I adapt and see what's required of me and then rise above that.
1: Awesome.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And as you've mentioned regarding your style and the difficulties of implementing that as an international coach, but besides that, is there any reference point you look to any coaches that you mainly take Um, philosophies or ideas from?
2: Um, With the different coaches that I've had as a player, I've looked at and seen how they do things. So I take a bit of this, a bit of that. I can be, a my way or no way, the highway coach as well. (laughs) I can be a very strict coach. I can be a very flexible coach. Um, you know, um, and some of the coaches that I've come across, they're very knowledgeable. So I take that and see how do I put it into my game as well. I need to do a lot of research, but there's coaches that are bookworms. I'm not so much of a bookworm. I'm more practical see <laughs> what relates to, to to me and the players and the situation. Like I say, if you need to adapt, you need to be an expert at what you do. Definitely. Yeah. But I don't dwell too much on what I read I read for reference purposes to see how can it improve the way I coach or the situations I'm always faced with, in terms of improving a team, building a team, and all of that. You know, I've had coaches that uh, shout a lot. Maybe I take a lot from those because I shout a lot. You know, I've, I've, I've had coaches. I've had coaches that um, uh, are calm. Um, I still need to take more from those coaches because they're calm, they're able to think better and all of that. They're, you know, As I grow older, maybe I'll get to that, <laughs> but my personality is a very loud one. so And I don't take too much from different coaches that I've come across because then it will dilute who I am. I just take yeah. and see, does this fit into who I am and into my philosophy and then work from there.
0: Yeah. And you know, Lita actually mentioned to me uh, of a... The frameworks that, you know, have been put in place for women's football and we both have worked in cricket for some time and the infrastructure throughout the p- pipelines are really good in terms of bringing players through, giving them access to resources, facilities and training. And there have been so recently a lot of initiatives and projects involving women's football. As you looked, um, you've been to the Under-17 World Cup. Banyana qualified for the world cup and the standard of football is at a high quality now, but you know, it's obviously not, we're not there where we'd want to be at the moment. There's still a lot of improvements to go and to come, but sort of analyzing how far we've come. Do you think we're at an adequate level at the moment in terms of our youth structure, structure coming through to the national team?
2: Um, look, we've come a long way. Now we have an under seventeen. Um, we, we 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 are becoming a powerhouse in terms of youth level, mm. but there's still a lot more that needs to be done in terms of resources, access of those resources, and consistently um, making sure those resources are available. You know, we still find teams where girls are not. Uh, they don't have training kits, they don't have equipment, they don't have a field, they don't have so many resources, you know. Um, there's still some places where there's no uh, 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 women, um, a school league, you know. Um, so there's still a lot that needs to be done. Honestly, I think with the minimal resources that we have and qualifying for the World Cup twice already and now we're at the verge of qualifying for another one, I feel like we do so well. We're given five resources. When we do well, two are taken away. And then they say we're cutting two fingers, stick with three. Let's see what else you can do. We can't create magic when you keep cutting. Other countries out there, they they achieve, they add more. You know, So that should be the idea uh, because we need more qualified coaches from the ground to make sure that we scout these players from an early age from six-year-olds already, they are playing football. Girls, seven, under eight, under tens, all of that. It will make our structures so strong and we'll be able to produce more quality players from an early age. We'll be able to compete with the rest of the world because you almost know every player that is around you know, in South Africa. That's mm-hmm. not good. We, we need to always find new talent every time that is coming through. So we still need more to, to do. We still need media coverage. We still need sponsorships that need to be involved in women's football. And we still need endorsements. We still need, um, there's a lot that still needs to be done there uh, on the ground. The marketing, the visibility, because if there's marketing visibility of the games and all of that, it's easy for girls to see footballers every day and they aspire to be footballers as well. That's how you see mass participation. That's how you see awareness of the game, that's how we see more girls that would want to be involved in football. I mean, you look at um, in, in England right now, Men's City was playing, Everton was playing. They have men's teams, they have women's teams, they train in the same facilities mm. um, and, and all of that, you know, but um, we need to still see that only and Sundowns and Celtics have teams. How mm. beautiful would it be if all like, 16 teams in the PSL have teams in the Glad Africa, have teams as well. It would mean there'd be more resources, more structure, and all of that.
1: Sure. And uh, Cynthia, you obviously mentioned a very, very important points. And we want to get to a few of those that you mentioned in more detail. But I just want to ask, and, in terms of you, know, you mentioned how you are uh, sometimes operating with, with your one hand tied behind your back. And just can you just give us a bit more insight on how you actually particularly uh, with the under-17 program? How are you? How are you guys operating? How do you come about, you know, selecting squads, and how do you come about planning around? Obviously, now with the, with the tournament happening with the and Seventeen, how do you go about um, trying your best to keep uh, to get the ladies prepared and, and, and performing at their best, with, you know, the the challenges that you have.
2: Look uh, at Safa. What we try to do, um, we. We, we, we have a scouting tree that we had put in place to say we need to scout under-17s, under-20s and Banyana players in different provinces so that everybody gets a chance where we are able to invite different people in different provinces and go there to them, you know, so that we increase the scope. And once we do that, we select those players, bring them in for selection camps and all of that, but it's not enough. Because we miss some of South Africa is so big mm-hmm. and some areas we can't reach, you know. Um, and if already there were scouting trees, if already there were um, academies there, it would have been better because you'd see more tournaments taking place. But um, we are also able to select players from tournaments, we are able to select players from Uh, school leagues Uh, some players also we are also able to select also um you are driving past somewhere you meet you see players you call them in and see what they can give you know so we 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 don't have a definite thing to say this is strictly how we do things but we try as much as we can to spread ourselves across so that we are able to select and find players and then we'd bring them into camps, selection camps. Uh, if there's a tournament, that would be a preparation camp and take it from there. It's still not enough because of funding. We would love to be in camps for months on end, you know, come in, even when there's no competitions, come in, be able to train and just know that your squad is training. At least you get contact sections, sessions with them, but it's not easy.
1: Yeah, and it's just... not easy. Yes, and, and I'm sure also... You know as you say, the limited time that you spend with your with your at least your wider group of, of of players is is quite limited but how do you go about because in south africa it's, it's 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 something that has been you know um quite problematic particularly when we compare ourselves to to the rest of the world but how do you deal with the the fitness issue because if you don't see your players quite often you don't have enough camps how do you monitor and deal with fitness and do you have you know um hasn't Staff around you that will, uh, are helping you with monitoring fitness and and making sure that you know the ladies are taking care of themselves because the biggest, the hard, the most work that goes in before camp is the one that that goes in at home. You know, so how do you how do you go about monitoring that and are the structures in place?
2: It's not easy, honestly. Uh, right now with the COVID, what we were doing, we were giving players programs to train, to use at home. Uh, so that they're ready, whenever there's a call up, they don't come in flats. they are fit, they're strong while they train with their clubs. Um, it, it's entirely up to the players really, because there isn't proper structure also with the clubs and all of that, it's not easy for them to be uh, training and all of that, which is a challenge for us because they come to national team, we still need to look at the fitness aspect of things, mm-hmm. psychology, you know, uh, and then football side of things is too much and it's, you've got limited time. So we, 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 we struggle with that, you know, a lot, because you don't want to push players too much. You Ideally, you'd want players to come into the national team and you just worry about the football aspect of things. But now you have to look at more things that you must make sure they are in place, the fitness and all of that. And right now, that's what we struggled with, coming into camp, preparing for Kosafa. Sure. You know, because some of them trained limited time. Now it's difficult. It's not, it's not that easy compared to if teams, if teams are in professional setups, they'll be training regularly. You don't have to worry about that. You know, if they're in academies, they're in clubs and all of that, it becomes easy. So right now it's not that easy. And because the younger ones don't see uh, seriousness as much as Banyana players, for example, because they know that if they're in the Banyana team, they will get paid for it. They're looking Mm. to go overseas. Mm. So with the younger players, it's not that hectic for them. They don't see (laughs) how really, really, really important it is for them. But we try with the group that we keep. We try to to, to let them send us feedback. Uh, If they do exercises at home, let them do videos and all of that. But it's not easy.
1: You no, know, okay. so. yeah, but I from from the untrained eye, you know, just watching the the game from from the first Kasafa game against uh, Zambia, just from the untrained eye, the fitness levels are definitely higher than you know I would expect. I'm sure obviously because the, the ladies are still young and they've got the energy, but the, the, the fitness levels are definitely you guys are heading in the right direction.
2: Uh, maybe when you are looking at it, that's where you, you are seeing it better. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at better than I wish. Yeah, I wish we had more time. I wish I had a month with them first before uh, they could go and play a tournament and all of that. You know, because two weeks is not enough for a person to be feeling fully fit. You need at least six weeks in camp with them or any setup, you need six weeks with them where you know you are taking care of the physical aspect of things, strength and conditioning, then you are bringing in football and all of those things, you know. But they tried. Um, they didn't come into camp too flat, you know, because they gave us something to work with, you know. And because they, it's younger players, they are always forgetting um, that's the other thing. So you need to condition their minds as much as you can. It's not that easy. But yeah uh, at least they're not um, flat. We, we got something to work with and it was first game you know you can be fit and you also need match fitness match fitness is what we don't have as well so yeah um, that's why we are not as fluid we are not the same team that you see running off the ball on the ball getting into spaces creating opportunities scoring and all those things
0: yeah, and we talk yeah. about um, the whole FAIR project is to raise awareness around promoting and empowering marginalized communities. That means women in sports, um, racialized youth. And, you know, you reference other sports, or I reference other sports to to highlight that kids, or let's just say rugby players who are installed in high school, get, um, I'd put in quotation stipends from unions, so they're already earning a healthy salary at such a young age, um, you know, signing for these unions at 17, 18. And, you know, being involved in a lot of male spaces, the rhetoric is always, yeah, you know, in order to generate more money, get more fans in. And that's not possible without, you know, proper support and exposure, initial exposure, um, without real financial gain initially but you know we want to see more women involved in the PSL as well you know at a at a higher level getting more opportunities being empowered and they can take those experiences lower down the pipeline and supply them supply them to young coaches and women do you think enough Initiatives has been done to empower, you know, young women in the support structures of football, and that's just not coaches, but physios, doctors, um, you know, analysts, you know, across the board. No, um,
2: it's not, um, and I can safely say we are. Probably not even, even halfway through because you go to a typical club in the township, you find that there's a, a head coach, there's no goalkeeper coach, there's no physio, there's no doctor when the team goes to play matches. Um, the coach en- ends up having to do all these different duties. Um, you'd find that um, uh, the club doesn't even afford to, to pay all those people in place, you know and if you do find people that are qualified are able to do the job who's going to pay them the salary so sports and recreation um, you know there isn't enough funding to make sure all those things are taken care of and it, it, therefore it, it, it makes it difficult to have experts in those areas and also if you think about it if we have more academies and all of that you'll have posi- you'll have spaces to employ all these people because if the academy, it will require there's a head coach, assistant coach, goalkeeper coach, a video analyst, all of those. So now all these experts will be employed. But if it's just a club that doesn't even have a change room, how will you have a video session? Why would you need a video analyst, for example? You know, So all those things, I think that would be, need to be taken into consideration, but you need to create a platform for them to exist, to coexist with one another. That's where you need all those academies. And it will increase the commercial value because if academies are there, it means clubs are going to be better. You'll have more girls playing from an early age. The quality of the product will be better because it means there's going to be structure from early on. Then people will have interest. More quality, more viewership. It means more people come in. It means you can sell your product even better. It means you'll have more girls playing football. It means you'll have more people having interest and giving more money for women's so that's that's how i'm looking at it means more needs to be done for women that play football and it needs just the scope needs to be open even bigger it needs to be open even bigger because for coaches to be in those spaces to influence the game as much as we can those things need to be in place
0: yeah i completely wholeheartedly agree there and i feel like you know as a nation there's many, many social issues regarding women in the country, such as gender-based violence. So, you know, you can feel that there's a lot of these issues that we need to address, and this is definitely one of them. But just to finish off, we, we want to ask you um, your future and just where you'd like to see yourself in five to ten years regarding your coaching career
2: um i would definitely want to see myself overseas somewhere being able to earn a living as much as you are in south africa and you you coach you do this the game is still a bit behind you know so i'd want to go to your first world countries learn be better make a real living out of it because uh, passion doesn't pay the bills you know I'd, if I'm to come back and add experience and bring my expertise back to my shores, and you know, improve the game and add value, definitely, you know. But I, I, I'd want to see myself being overseas, just like our players are going overseas, getting contracts overseas. I'd want to see myself um, do that, get more qualifications, um, and 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 set myself for for even better and more challenges, you know, so that um, I'd love to qualify for more World Cups. I'd love to win championships. I'd want to see myself sitting on a bench and it's UEFA Champions League for women. Women's UEFA Champions League, you know, so I'm dreaming that for
1: Yeah, sure. And just just for my side, uh, um, I, I, I had a couple of conversations with- um, a legend obviously in her own right, to Porsche Modise and just conversations that were around us when we were planning the Howling All Star game. There's, there's, a topic that came up, and I'm sure I don't know how 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 prevalent it is for you in in your career or in, your, um, in your in your work of life. How with under seventeen, you know, but, you know with, with, when it comes to sexual orientation and obviously there's this there's. A lot of um, sort of uh, how can generalisation about women's football and um, um, women, uh, female players, and I know definitely it's, a, uh, it's, not, the, it's not the truth across the board, um, and obviously it, it, it also reflects society. But just in terms of sexual orientation and, and how you um, approach it as as, as just a place, so especially with, with the younger generation you're dealing with. How do you go about, you know, just addressing those situations? Because I'm sure there's been um, issues that have, have arisen, you know, if, if there's any inappropriate um, relations between players or, or, or et cetera, et cetera. It's always a very sensitive topic, obviously, it's quite personal and it's quite... Uh, uh, it, it's quite Taboo in, in, in society, to, you know, even today, even though it's a progressively getting better. But how do you approach those kind of sensitive topics? And obviously, at a, at a role you are, you know, basically in charge of, of our nation's future, you know, in a way. So how do you go about dealing with such a sensitive issue?
2: It's not a sensitive issue. Yeah. It, the only thing is that people need to understand we are a diverse uh, uh, country. Uh, the world is diverse in that sense. The world is diverse in that sense. The only issue is players understanding their role in the team. And my stand- standpoint has always been I'm coaching girls to uh, be able to tuck in their shirts, comb their hair, bath, smell nice, brush your teeth, give me a smile. How you cut your hair, how you comb your hair, uh, the only how in combing your hair is it needs to be neat. True. Sure. That's a standpoint for me. Anything else, um, who am I?
1: You know, mm-hmm.
2: um, Mine is to make sure that I inspire girls to be better human beings. Mine is to make sure that I, I inspire girls to be better human beings for society, to be c- uh, global citizens, be able to stand up, speak for themselves, wh- whether with a ball on their feet or without a ball on their feet, be able to have the confidence, the respect, self-esteem, You know. Be able to say, I understand principles, I'll respect principles. That is my starting point. That is my starting point. Anything else that does not affect the game positively, that does not affect players positively for change, I don't entertain.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we just want to end off there. Thank you so much for your time. You spoke really well about the societal issues that we face in South Africa and the gender issues and empowering everyone to do better as a nation Uh, we wish you luck for the rest of um, the tournament and we hope that you guys can you know do really well so thank you thank you very much guys okay yeah we we we're gonna end it we're gonna cut it there but yeah just thank you again we really appreciate it you know in your busy your busy day just finding a time for us to to do this, so thank you so much. Uh,
2: thank you, guys.
1: Nice. All right, good. Gotcha. Have have a have a good uh, race of the tournament and make us proud, whichever way. <laughs> bye. Bye. Sub, sub, bye.